0: Does anybody like a parade? It it, it kind of ebbs and flows. Uh, When you're a kid, obviously you love parades because it means free candy. Uh, Sometimes it's not always the candy you want, but free candy is free candy. As you become an adult and maybe have kids, maybe your child is in the parade uh, with the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts, or if it's a school parade, uh, the marching band or part of a sports team. But parades are always a great opportunity to celebrate, and this Holy Week begins with this parade that we find in Mark chapter 11, this parade that we know of as the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And as Jesus makes this entrance into Jerusalem, we understand the context here that for many of the Jewish people who believe that he was the Messiah, this was the moment this was the moment when the king was coming into his kingdom. When the king was going to come and once and for all take his throne and overcome the Roman Empire. So this was their moment. This was their moment of celebration. And So we see in Mark chapter 11 verse 1 it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went up to Bethany with the twelve. Imagine, if you will, being a part of that moment. And what it would be like for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem. And you have an opportunity to be present at that parade. It would be rather awe-inspiring. There's something about when we lived in Cleveland, we, we lived in between, close to the Cleveland airport, but in between the Cleveland airport and downtown Cleveland. And so whenever a president would fly into Cleveland, they'd come into the Cleveland airport, and then the motorcade would drive them to downtown, whatever event they were going to be a part of. And so we could see, not only when Air Force One would land at the airport, but as you went along I-71 from the airport to downtown Cleveland, how the highway was lined with law enforcement and secret service on bridges and underpasses and just this awesome display of security going all the way into downtown. Think about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Think, if you will, if Jesus were to get on a bus and drive to Hopewell Township, and we knew in advance that he was coming, what would we do? What part would we want to play? Would we say, I'm going to take that day and make sure that I'm there to see him come into Hopewell? Maybe to be there on the off-ramp from 376 as his bus pulled onto to 151. Maybe to be at five points as the, the caravan made its way up to five points. Maybe lining the streets of Broadhead as Jesus made his way through town. Would you want to be present at that event? To see Jesus himself present and be a part of that celebration of welcoming him. And I love that image of Palm Sunday where people are taking these palm branches, they're waving the palm branches, they're laying them down so Jesus' colt doesn't have to walk on the dirty ground. They're preparing the way for Jesus to come and this amazing celebration at the arrival of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I've thought a lot about what would it be like for Jesus to physically come and be amongst us today. Because as intriguing as it sounds, remember that Jesus said it's better for him to go away. So Jesus said it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit than to have him physically present. And I understand that. But because we're tangible people who like to see and touch and, and smell, and there's something about the thought of having Jesus physically present with us And what that would be like, what that would be like if we knew that next Sunday, Jesus himself was going to walk through those doors and come down the center aisle and sit in these seats and be with us for Resurrection Sunday. What would that be like? Would we get here early? Would we be the first ones to leave? would suddenly the sanctuary flip and everybody's on the front half of the pews instead of the back half of the pews? (laughs) You're fine where you are, just joking. (laughs) What would that be like? Can you imagine that? To know that Jesus himself would be here with us next Sunday. Would you invite friends? You've, You've got to come to church. Jesus is going to be at our church next Sunday. Seriously, you've got to come. Think about the excitement that would... I mean, could you sleep next Saturday night knowing that in the morning you would see Jesus face to face? I can't imagine what that would be like, but yet we find certain scriptures that begin to shift our perspective. For example, Psalm 22, verse 3, where it says of God, you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. Some translations say that he inhabits the praises of Israel. The Hebrew word yasab there means to dwell, to inhabit, to abide, to sit down or to take the throne. So what God is saying here in Psalm 22 is that he dwells in the midst of, he takes his seat, he sits on his throne, he abides with the praises of his chosen people. In other words, even though in this world we're not going to have Jesus physically come and be here, we have the Holy Spirit, and because of our relationship with God through Christ, we are His chosen people, and when we worship Him, we give God a place to inhabit, we give God a place to dwell. The presence of God descends in the midst of a people who praise Him. Psalm 47, verse 8 where it says God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You notice what these verses are describing. They're describing God in heaven, seated upon his throne, and his glory consuming everything around him. Compare those verses to Psalm 22. If we take those verses, Psalm 47, that God reigns over the nation, sits on his holy throne, Isaiah 6.1, that the Lord is in heaven, sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up, the train of his robe fills the temple, the whole place is filled with his glory. That happens when we worship him. Spiritually, what we're doing here And what's happening in heaven suddenly merged together. And it's as if we are in heaven, worshiping God. He's seated upon his throne. His glory fills this place. Revelation 4.2 At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Every time we worship, when we were worshiping, When we were lifting up our hearts in song a few minutes ago, I know it's not worship team A, but we make do with what we have today. No matter what it sounds like, when we lift our hearts in worship to God, it's as if his throne just descends into our midst. Now, think about that for a second. If Jesus just came out of heaven, came through the ceiling and suddenly just stood right there. What would happen inside of you? I know it's hard to imagine, but just think through. Jesus is standing right there. You can look into his eyes. You can come up and you can touch him. He's right here. How would we respond? What would we do? how overwhelmed would we be? Would we start to sing a little bit louder? Would we become a little bit more exuberant in our worship? On Palm Sunday, there is this parade of celebration, and the thing that gets me about Palm Sunday is they didn't get it. They have this exuberant celebratory parade for Jesus because they thought this was going to initiate a military conquest. And I think this is large part in why much of this same crowd, several days later, are going to stand in the courtyard and say, crucify him. We thought he was going to conquer, but clearly not. They felt misled by what Jesus did. He didn't live up to their expectations. But if we are people who know Christ, and again, this whole series we've been in leading up to Easter has been about the glory of the gospel. And Tim Crouch talked about it in the video that we are in relationship. At the heart of the gospel, we are in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We are his children, welcome before him. And every time we worship, he is here present. How do we respond to that? What do we do in response to that if we truly know who He is? And as the rain heavily beats on the building, let me just give three principles, I believe, for what it means for us to worship. Because I can say, how do we worship in light, you know, as if Jesus were present here? But I want to be careful with the language because Jesus is, in fact, present here, very real and in a tangible way. But sometimes our hearts don't recognize that or respond to that. So what are some principles we can apply in worship? Number one, minister to his presence. Minister to his presence. Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11 it says, "In the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy. Notice the terminology. They fall down, they cast their their crowns. Worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. By your will they existed and were created. You notice them ministering to the presence of the Lord. They are speaking directly to the Lord. September 21st, 1996. Julie and I stood at the front of John Knox Presbyterian Church in North Olmstead, Ohio, as Phil Howard, uh, an Alliance pastor who now teaches at Tacoa Falls College, stood at the front and he walked us through our wedding vows. On that day, imagine, if you will, the back doors open, and Julie comes down, radiant in her bridal gown, and stands here in front of me, and I immediately leave the platform, walk away from her, and start walking amongst family and friends. Julie's amazing, isn't she? Yeah. can't believe I'm marrying her. She's so incredible. We're going we're gonna to be married and spend our lives together. Yeah, that, that's why we're here, Paul. But I just keep going around to everybody talking about how great she is. And that's fine. But if I'm the one sitting there, and let's say this goes on for like 45 minutes, I'm just going from person to person, just talking about, you know, it's going to be so great. Married life will be so great. We can just be together every day, just spend our lives together, raise a family together. It's going to be wonderful. I'd be sitting there saying, not if you don't get yourself to the front of the church. Stop talking to us. She's waiting for you there. Go to her. And for me, and I'm not saying this has to be true for everybody, but a lot of times uh, when I'm thirsting for worship, and I turn on Christian radio, and there's a lot of great Christian songs. But a lot of them talk about maybe how great Jesus is, or how great it is to live for Jesus, and that's wonderful. If Jesus was standing right here, no offense, but I wouldn't be running up to you guys saying, isn't it awesome Jesus is here? Because if I were you, I would be shut up. I'm trying to focus on him. So often in worship, we allow the focus to turn to ourselves. We like to remind ourselves. You know, it's great to know Jesus. It's great to go to heaven someday. And all those things are true. But in worship, I want to minister to his presence, minister to him, celebrate him. Because if he was standing right there, I would come and fall at his feet and worship him. I wouldn't talk to everybody else about how great he is. I would tell him how great he is. I've noticed in my own spirit that there is a huge difference between singing about the Lord and singing to the Lord. And it's wonderful to sing about him. There's nothing wrong with that we can't lose the focus on singing to Him, ministering to His presence, focusing on Him. Principle one, minister to His presence. Principle number two, create a wholehearted expression. Create a wholehearted expression. Notice what it says in Psalm chapter 9, verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. We know that scripture says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And ever since the modern era as Christians, we've taken that verse to just say, love the Lord your God with all your mind. Make it a very intellectual thing. And sometimes when it comes to worship, We let all the worship just be here. Not bald, but in our heads, in our minds. Worship just is here. We, We think theological thoughts about God, which are important. But the passage doesn't say love the Lord your God with all your mind alone. It says not only all your mind, but all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, everything you are. Everything within you. I've always been fascinated with personality profiles, just to, to help understand to who we are and why we do what we do and how we function and, and process the world around us. And uh, One of the more popular ones is called the Myers-Briggs Personality Profile. And if you've ever gone through that, I, I, I score at an INFP. Uh, the major one there is I, which is introvert, which which means that my world typically is internal. So if you look at my personality profile, I'm not one who's prone to big, emotional, explosive expressions. I'm not demonstrative in my display. And so I can easily say, well, Lord, that's just not my personality to be demonstrative in my praise. You know, I can love you with all my mind and all my heart, but all my strength? Lord, I don't like when there's a tension on me. So I I don't want to be expressive. It's not my personality. But you know what? I lie. Because if I'm at PNC Park, and it's the bottom of the ninth, and the Pirates are down two to one, and Key Brian Hayes hits a home run to win the game, I won't sit in my seat and say, well, bravo, chap, that was very nice. Soccer, when a winning goal is scored, you know, Aaron and I love to go to soccer games, and and when a goal is scored for our team, we scream and yell and hug and high five. That's not my personality, but it is in those moments. Sometimes. When it comes to creating a wholehearted expression of worship, I can default to what's comfortable. I can say, Lord, I I am by nature just kind of a, a reserved person. And so, Lord, for me to fall on my face before you, for me to just explode in worship, Lord, that's not really me. But it is. I do it at sporting events. So why wouldn't I do it for him? To declare my love for him? I mean, think about it. You go to a concert and the band comes up on stage. Everybody stands up and cheers. Can you imagine Jesus appearing right here? How would we respond? Oh, yes, very nice, that's good. It's pleasant to have him with us. Or would there be this explosive, no way, just running up and just falling at his feet and loving him and worshiping him and who cares about personality, who cares about preferences, it's all about him. The Psalms repeatedly call us to this wholehearted expression of worship in a sense to get over ourselves. Because the question isn't, Lord, what kind of worship do I want to give you? The question is, Lord, what kind of worship do you want from me? Because that's the worship I want to give you. And so number three is make a sacrifice of praise. Minister to his presence, create a wholehearted expression, and make a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice is laying down something of value. Letting go of something of value. Listen to Psalm 47.1, and this isn't just one example in isolation. If you go through the Psalms, there are countless examples of this concept. It says, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Now, let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask us to be vulnerable and raise our hands. How many people pray for Israel? Why do we do that? Bible says, pray for the peace of Israel, right? So if, if the Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that we take that as a command, right? What's Psalm 47.1? Is that God saying, hey, you know, it, it'll be great if maybe you thought about this? Just as distinctly as he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, he says, clap your hands, all peoples, Shout to God with loud songs of joy. I guess that's what he would like from me. To express worship. Not only mentally and in my heart, but to allow my body. Next time you ever want to go through the Psalms, Psalm 1 to Psalm 150, and make note of every time it commands us to, to engage in some kind of physical expression of worship, whether it's bowing down or clapping hands or dancing, all the things that God says, this is what I want when you worship me. To not say, well, Lord, that's not who I am. But to make a sacrifice of praise. But not only does it says to clap your hands, notice that next part. Shout to God with quiet songs of reflection. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. You know, I, we often dismiss our lack of vocal talent by saying, you know, make a joyful noise to the Lord. It's not good, but it's a joyful noise. And I appreciate that. But understand that the Hebrew expression there is, give a battle cry. Give a battle cry. It doesn't say, you know, if you're a bad singer, just give it everything you've got. It's make a battle cry. And I've never watched a movie where there's some big climactic battle, and there's this large battle cry. I think about the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and at the end, A Return of the King, when there's that big attack on the gates of Mordor. And all of the heroes are screaming as as they charge in the battle. You don't see the, the bad guys saying, well, that was off pitch. I'm not intimidated at all. That wasn't in harmony. When I played football in high school, we were a small team. When I was one of the biggest guys on the team, it's a reflection that we weren't a huge group. We had a lot of guys who were maybe this big with arms about that thick, and For whatever reason, on the east side of Cleveland, they drank different water than we did. Because I would talk to my mom after games, and she's sitting there in the stands, and we're warming up and getting ready, and suddenly the other school pulls up in their bus. And out of that bus come these behemoths. And they are grunting and they are chanting. And we are standing on the field, and we turn to one another and say, we're dead. This is the concept that we see throughout the Old Testament. Where oftentimes the enemies of Israel, God would say, when you go to battle, put the the Levites up front. Put the worship team up front. And the worship was so loud and so intense that the enemies of Israel got scared to death because they said, whoa, we're in trouble. It wasn't about the size of the Israel army. It was the size of their praise. The battle cry. The sacrifice of praise. I don't know about you, But when I think about being in heaven and spending eternity at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him, and I try to imagine, what's that going to be like? At first, I can't even fully comprehend. But I can only imagine, and not to hint at that song, but just to finally be free from the worry about what other people are thinking of me as I worship. To not worry about whether or not I sound like a dying elk when I sing. To not worry about out-of-shape arms growing weary from being lifted up. When I don't have to worry about an aching back, like, oh, it's getting hard to stand. Or aching knees that make it hard to kneel. And I'm just completely free to worship. What that will be like. But there's no reason why today I can't step in that direction. To minister to his presence, to create a wholehearted expression, to make a sacrifice of praise. Because if there can be this boisterous parade of celebration from people who didn't really understand who Jesus was, then as someone who truly knows Christ and belongs to him, what kind of worship should we bring to him then? Because even if we don't see him physically right there, he inhabits the praises of his people. He dwells in the midst of our worship. And he is here. His presence is here. The question for us is, do we acknowledge it? Do we allow ourselves to even be aware of it? Do we care? Are we willing to minister to his presence, create a wholehearted expression of worship, and to make a sacrifice of praise before him? Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend Byron Macaulay.